0: Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor in Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad.
1: Hello. Welcome to this special edition of Embedded Edge with Knitting part of a series from the Embedded World 2022 show in Nuremberg. Yes, it was really great to be back. We were last there in early 2020, just before lockdown, so it was good to meet with everyone again. And that enthusiasm certainly shone brightly in everyone we spoke to, especially since it was just over two years since uh, we'd all connected. In this episode, we focus on processing, microcontrollers, memory and FPGAs. We feature interviews with Arm, Micron, NXP Semiconductor, Renesas, Silicon Labs, and AMD. Plus, we also speak to ImagMob, Mythic, Neocortec, and Visionary AI. But it's not just all Embedded World. As a special treat, I also reported from the Goodwood Festival of Speed, where I spoke to the developers of a special race car designed to empower a quadriplegic former IndyCar race driver, Sam Schmidt, to race using only head motion. We talked to the developer at Aero Electronics, who outlined the, how the two cameras connected to an NVIDIA Jetson platform and open source code enabled this to put into practice. So let's start with the interview from the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and then head back to Embedded World in Nuremberg. I hope you enjoy the next 40 minutes or so. Well, now I'm with Stephen Harper, Field Applications Engineer with Arrow, and he's uh, been working on the new uh, technology on the SAM car. Hello, Stephen.
2: Hello, nice to meet you.
1: Tell me um, what's new in the SAM car in terms of the technology compared to what you had last year here at Goodwood.
2: Sure. So one significant upgrade that we've enabled in the new McLaren 720S is the move from a motion capture-based tracking system for the steering to a machine learning-based system. So
1: the current system uses uses IR, well, a, a, a point grid, and the new one is using cameras.
2: That's correct. The current system in the in in the vehicle and in previous vehicles has used infrared tracking dots on the helmet or glasses uh, to tr- track the location of those dots and. 3D space, just just like you'd see in motion capture for movies or video games. The new system uses a much smaller, much more integrated stereo pair of cameras, uh, 1920 by 1200 resolution, all running uh, 6 gigabits per second over a GMSL uh, 2 connection, back to an NVIDIA Jetson platform, uh, which reads in those frames, does a lot of color correction, cropping, distortion correction, and, and things like that, all in hardware. and then. That pipeline is passed off to our neural network, a series of neural networks, which does the calculations for the head angle. Okay. And um, were there any issues with latency on that? Right. So our initial proof of concepts had significant latency, and we expected that. I mean, the idea was to just prove out the pipeline, essentially, and know that we you know, we could do it from start to finish. There's a lot of moving pieces in there. And so we we initially developed it just to see if, if we could even get it working at all in the way that we wanted. We did experience a significant amount of latency. What really enabled us to get this to a, a, a real-world usable platform was uh, leveraging the CUDA cores and, and GPUs on the NVIDIA Jetson uh, AGX Xavier that we're, that we're currently using. In the future, we plan to migrate to the new Orin platform, which we expect to give us a 3 to 5x performance increase and essentially run at significantly faster than frame rate with our current algorithm. That gives us the overhead um, to you know I- increase the accuracy of the algorithms, the reliability, and potentially add additional functionality moving forward.
1: And I, I think you mentioned a figure of, what, 33 milliseconds currently, but you're trying to improve that.
2: That's right. R- right now, we're running at about 30 frames per second uh, per, per camera, so we run we run multiple instances of the inference in parallel, and we have separate processing threads for things like the packet generation that gets sent to our steering computer and things like that. 33 milliseconds, we're, we're very happy with. It's very usable in the real world. That gives us, uh, uh, you know, about uh, real-time performance. There is uh, some minimal lag, but we, we, we try to only pull the latest frame, and and so we're we're essentially running with one frame of latency right now. And and for human reaction speeds in the hundreds of milliseconds, the performance is perfectly adequate uh, to demonstrate the vehicle. Now, you have to remember, you know, this is a performance vehicle that we're running here, and so while this might work well for for any normal car on the street, we really need to get the latency as low as physically possible so that a race car driver can drive this vehicle at well over 100 miles an hour.
1: Great. So what's next uh, for this? Uh, where, Where do you go next, or what
2: will we see next year at Goodwood? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, You tell us, you know, what do you want to see? We always try to keep up with the latest and greatest uh, technology and, you know, the best performance that we can get out of the vehicle. So the sky's the limit at this point. I mean, you know, the shift to AI has been a significant one, and I think that there's a lot more that we could do in that environment. Um, We know that we do want to integrate voice commands into the car, and obviously that's going to be, you know, machine learning as well, relying on models for that so that Sam is able to put the car in drive by himself, potentially do things like open the doors, by himself Um, start the car you know just with his voice
1: but uh, you know uh, this is more than just performance cars because this technology then uh, opens up uh, the opportunity for other areas as well
2: that's absolutely right and this really is a demonstration platform for us is just to show sort of you know what we can do with the technology we really want People to take this, you know, these concepts and ideas, and, and use them in all sorts of real-world applications. Right? This is highly specialized. The idea being that if we can do this in a race car at 200 miles an hour, anybody can do this. And really, the shift to the NVIDIA platform has enabled that. The existing motion capture system is, is quite expensive and proprietary. All of the hardware that we're currently using for the AI system is really just a couple thousand dollars worth of hardware. You know, and, and we could get this level of performance with the next generation of hardware at a, at, at half of that cost, right? So it really enables developers to, to use this in any application you can imagine. This is a lot of open source code or freely available code that we're using or have modified. Uh, a lot of the you know the the main code that we're running was written in Python, um, so it's it's very human readable and accessible now, right? Uh, and I think that's fantastic. We're starting to see a lot more use cases for this type of technology. That's great.
1: Stephen, that's really, really good. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for your time.
1: I'm here now with uh, Roger Wendelken of Renesas. Roger, hello. Hi. You have a, another big announcement here. Uh, tell me what it is.
3: Yes, we're announcing the uh, world's first silicon availability of the latest ARM core, the M85, and we're showcasing it on our floor and uh, showing a demo. We're very excited about this. Yes, I could tell by that. Tell me what's significant. Yeah. So uh, this is really a leapfrog for Renaissance to take the leadership in performance in MCU. This 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 device will bridge the gap between MCU and MPU, bringing the level of performance uh, above any MCU that exists in the world today, and uh, also can be an option for those looking for embedded flash uh, with MPU type performance.
1: We we see first silicon now. Uh, What's the next step when are are going to see implementation of that in uh, products?
3: So uh, next year we have samples available, and next year we'll be uh, introducing this product uh, into production, and then we'll build an entire family based on this core. So we're going to aggressively roll this product out. And what kind of applications uh, are you sort of uh, targeting with this, I'm sure? So uh, it can really span a number of applications from graphics to HMI. And then, of course, uh, with our acquisition of Reality AI on real-time analytics, this new core has uh, the Helium DSP, which can enable very fast uh, uh, AI experience for our customers. So there's a broad set of applications that uh, we can address.
1: Roger, thank you very much. I'm here with Eric Peters of uh, Renesas, going to talk about uh, their big launch at Embedded World Nuremberg. Hello Nitin, uh, good to talk to you today. What's the, the big news here at uh, uh, Embedded World? Well, we've done a product launch
4: here at Embedded World, a uh, new member of our smartphone family of Bluetooth low energy systems on chip. It's our most highly integrated system on chip. It's uh, targeted at wearable devices, such as uh, fitness trackers, sports watches, smart watches, e-bikes, industrial devices, uh, medical uh, monitoring systems, glucose uh, meters, uh, those kind of devices, and it essentially packs all the needed functions and features that you need for an end product design onto a single chip. That level of integration is quite unique. So of course, uh, with our background, it all starts with the Bluetooth LE connectivity radio and and stack the the connectivity front end, but we packed it together with a powerful MCU, an ARM M33 core running at 160 megahertz, a full PMIC uh, including a USB battery charger that can deliver up to 720 milliamps right off chip, so no external power management components needed and also a 2D graphical processing unit and display controller. So all of the display controlling and the handling of touch interfaces is is done on chip. And I would say last but not least is also voice activity detection at very low standby power. It wakes up on, on keyword detection and then can process Keywords to uh, to uh, activate all kinds of functions. Our customers get a suite delivered with our SDK to program their own keywords and
1: thereby create an interface to the device for their uh, for the consumers. And and I mean, really, the big message here is significant reduction in bill of materials. Is that right? Yes, for
4: a, a typical wearable, it integrates the I would say the three biggest components into a single one. It's the MCU, the PMIC and the connectivity. And that not only reduces cost, it also significantly reduces power consumption. A single chip is more efficient. You only turn on those parts of the chip that you need at a certain point of, of software execution and it saves a whole lot of board space. So a lot more design freedom for cool watches and, and, and a customer could also decide to just increase their battery size because they now have the space to do so and go from from days of
1: battery life to weeks of battery life on, on the same size product. And, and you have customers already using this. I think you have one announced with the with the product launch.
4: We have, and yeah, we're happy to announce that the uh, new Xiaomi uh, Mi Band Seven, the latest generation, is fully built around this chip, and is uh, shipping in volume and available on the market already. And additional designs coming up from uh, from various end customers. Uh,
1: where does this sit within the Renesas family? So. Within the wireless connectivity
4: family, it's clearly a uh, mainly a Bluetooth low energy system on chip. It is a fifth family in our portfolio. It, it, it is the flagship. It sits at the highest end, the most processing power, the highest level of integration. And we deliver from, I would say, the most compact chip in the market, the DA14531 at lowest power, lowest cost, which is for simple wireless sensors to a connectivity add-on for a host MCU, and then scaling all the way up to this new device, the DA1470X. Within the broader Renesas family, it brings wireless connectivity together with ARM-based MCU functionality into a single system on chip. So that really adds to the overall Renesas MCU portfolio. Eric, thank you very much. You're welcome, pleasure talking to you, today.
1: I'm here with Daniel Cooley, Silicon Labs. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Tell me a little bit about Silicon Labs'
5: focus here at uh, Embedded World. Uh, sure, so we are focused on wireless technology for the Internet of Things. And what that really means is wireless penetration into embedded systems. We're seeing mass adoption of the technology that came into computers and phones you know, 10, 15 years ago is now being pulled through into the embedded space.
1: You're very focused on those IoT solutions. What are the big areas, uh, application areas that you're seeing?
5: Yeah, that's one of the most common questions we get is what is the IoT? Everybody talks about it and they all mean something different. So first, we sell into every major end, end application and end market. We see smart home. We see consumer adoption of this stuff. We see smart cities, smart buildings, retail, commercial, industrial, core industrial applications. It's really coming in everywhere because people want to take an end product and connect it to the cloud for some reason, and vice versa.
1: What are the big challenges that you think are in, in iot a product, for example?
5: Uh, sure, so we def- kind of bucket this in four ways. The core compute, the security, the connectivity, and then the intelligence, the edge intelligence of the application. And making all that transparent and accessible from the cloud is our goal. Okay. We want cloud developers to be able to write cloud applications to manage fleets of these devices in tens of millions, hundreds of millions, or even billions of devices. Doing that at scale over the whole lifecycle of the device, constantly doing firmware updates, reading data, staying up to date with government regulation. I mean, that's the big stuff that's going on right now. It's not the early days anymore. We're starting to see at-scale deployments.
1: And talking of at-scale, which is the, I think, health and medical, I think, are are, are big at-scale deployments at the moment, or other areas that you're seeing a lot of traction in?
5: We are absolutely seeing it in health uh, and medical both in, in kind of in office or in, in clinical settings as well as home settings. An example of the home is we're seeing like widespread adoption of connectivity and things like blood glu- continuous glucose monitoring. And they have to have Bluetooth connectivity to the phone, has to be highly secure. A lot of uh, very important data is being transferred. We obviously, we obviously see it in the clinical setting as well, but other spaces are like lighting, shelf labels, anything battery powered in, in industrial settings, a smart home. I mean, it, it's just going and going and going this point.
1: Taking it a little bit for some more broader, what are the th- things that you're going to be focused on over the next year? And-
5: sure. So I think the, the, the biggest kind of trends we're seeing right now, uh, there's more standards coming to the table that are getting ready to go pretty big. Your readers might know or your listeners may know about Matter, which is a new standard for really driven right now in smart home applications, but we'll be going outside of that. We see wide adoption of another standard called Wisun, which is really long range, kind of industrial metering type applications. So more ecos, Amazon with Sidewalk, more of these ecosystems are starting to come together. The other macro trend that we're seeing is, is a rapid need for securing these edge devices. We're still in early days of that. And so there's a rich roadmap of of products coming out that will be available to consumers that are much more secure than they have been in the past.
1: One of the things I heard, uh, people don't always add security onto their products, how would you encourage customers to add that, uh, to add the security?
5: Well, we brought it at the right cost point. I know others are trying to do so as well. It's not about cost at the end uh, on the ASP of the chip, it's about starting it early enough in the development process. That's where we see customers typically get tripped up. If they try to add security at the end of the process, products get delayed. Uh, or they have to rewrite everything or fail certifications. If you start early, the cost is really not that big.
1: Well, Daniel, thank you very much.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm here with uh, Mohamed Ahmed of Arm at Embedded World. Uh, Mohamed, hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to see you, Nathan. spoken many times virtually, but uh, this is the first time we're meeting in person, thanks to uh, Embedded World in Nuremberg here. You, you, you recently announced to, you know, some new uh, solutions for Total, your t- Total Solutions IoT. Tell me a little bit about that.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we announced our uh, Arm Total Solutions, an update to our Arm Total Solutions uh, offering, which really is comprised of three things. One, it's our pre-integrated, pre-verified corestone designs, which um, where we bring a bunch of IP together to solve a use case specific problem. As part of that, we launched our M85, which is our fastest and uh, and most secure M-Class processor ever. The second part of an ARM Total solution is ARM Virtual Hardware, so we make a virtual replica of that pre-integrated, pre-verified design available so that software developers can begin developing on it the same day that we release the IP. They can get going much earlier and things like CI, CD. And then finally, the third part of it is um, Project Centauri. Project Centauri is all about finding ways to accelerate and enable software leverage and scale for our massive software and uh, an ISV ecosystem on top of those devices.
1: Here in Nuremberg, you've got some demos, quite a lot of them. Two or three of your favorites, tell me.
6: Yeah, we do have a bunch of demos and it's it's great because we're working with a bunch of partners like ST and NXP and Aleph Semiconductor here in the booth to show off some stuff. But I got to tell you, some of my favorite demos, I'd say probably one of my most favorite demos is our Project Cassini demo. In this demo, we have five or six, I think it's six different Linux boards up on a wall. And you can take a USB drive with an off-the-shelf Linux distribution, head of the tree, plug it into that. A class platform on six different boards, and on every one of them, it just boots. It shows off what Project Cassini is all about, which is just eliminating this need to go off and port your Linux distribution every time you you, uh, you you get a new piece of hardware. I love that one. Another one I really like is we have a decarbonizing compute demo, which you know takes a couple of use cases, things like smart cameras, and compares the impact of of moving um, more the compute to the edge rather than trying to send all that. Uh, all that data into the cloud for processing. By doing so, you can massively reduce your, your carbon footprint and that demo kind of really shows and highlights that. You know? And then of course, we got things like Sophie that we're showing off here at the show. We're also showing off some low power wireless initiatives with partners like Renaissance and, and even some, uh, some real life smart camera um, and ML demos with, uh, with partners like Aleph.
1: Well, you mentioned a USB drive uh, with uh, Linux preloaded on there.
6: Yeah, it's a it's a USB drive and it's got Linux uh, preloaded. Literally, just we just download um, any one of four or five different Linux distributions off the head of the tree, and you just plug it in, and they just work.
1: Excellent. Moving a little bit more broadly, what are the challenges you see in the IoT market or collection of markets?
6: Yeah, I mean, a collection of markets is the right way to say it. I mean, you know, ARM is ARM is really um, sort of pervasive across the IoT. I like to say the IoT really runs on ARM. When I when I look around and I look at all the different markets that we're in, whether it's home automation, industrial automation, supply chain management, or otherwise, one thing becomes clear. The compute is everywhere. And what we need to do as an industry is find ways to to, to really up level and enable a whole new amount of software innovation on top of all those devices. And if you think about all of the initiatives that we're that we've got going on at ARM, whether it's ARM virtual hardware or Arm Total Solutions, Project Centauri, Project Cassini, they're all focused on the same thing. How do we make it easier and streamline the development process for the entire ecosystem so everybody can get to market faster and everyone can, uh, can be successful more quickly?
1: Mohamed, thank you very much.
6: Thanks, Nathan. and it's great to see you in 3D.
1: Now I'm here with Robert Bilby of Micron
7: Technology. Robert, hello. Good afternoon. Thank you for your time today.
1: You have a, a number of announcements here at the Embedded World in Nuremberg. Um, can you just give us some headlines, please?
7: Yeah, so we have uh, three different announcements today. One is focused on our i400 product, which is uh, industry's first one and a half terabyte uh, uh, micro SD uh, uh, storage device. Uh, It's based on our 176 layer NAND device. Uh, We also are announcing the industry's first ASIL-D compliant memory, targeted for automotive applications. And we have an announcement around our industrial quotient partnerships program.
1: Uh, So tell us, first, let's start with the i400. Tell us a little bit about that and why it's important.
7: So uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is a product that's a one and a half terabyte uh, micro SD card. It's based on 176 layer uh, NAND flash technology, which is industry leading in terms of uh, number of layers. Uh, This is really focused at the uh, video security market. Uh, What we're seeing is that across many, many different applications, there's an increasing demand for higher density storage, uh, greater retention of information at the edge. We're starting to see video surveillance as a service becoming important. And uh, what customers are looking for is not necessarily to transmit all the data into the cloud, but transmit the in- important bits. So a lot of near-term uh, at-the-edge processing that's occurring. And uh, this memory is really integral in supporting that uh, capability. And you have-
1: you have customers already uh, working with uh, with some of these products?
7: Yeah, so one of our lead customers is uh, Verkata. They are uh, really focused on this video surveillance as a service space and uh, they've been very excited about uh, seeing this product because it really addresses a lot of areas and applications that they're servicing today.
1: And then now the uh, automotive uh, announcement.
7: Yep. Yeah. so from the automotive space, um, we are introducing uh, industry's first ASIL-D-compliant memory. Um, that's a mouthful, uh, but what it really means is that uh, there's an increasing interest and importance in uh, functional safety as it applies to automotive, as the industry is starting to embrace uh, full self-autonomous driving. Uh, the uh, aspects of functional safety as it applies to memory is uh, critical. Uh, and some of the innovations that we've been introducing uh, that are associated with this announcement allow for significantly greater power savings, uh, improvements in efficiencies in memory utilization, et cetera, et cetera, as well as really helping to develop a system that is fully aSLD compliant.
1: And I think you've you said you've got a, a huge number of patents on this, and yeah, they, can you just highlight maybe some of the, the key innovations there?
7: So there are quite a number of innovations that are associated with this because the trick that we really looked at is when we started to look at the random fault coverage space where these are the areas where things could possibly go wrong um, due to random faults, again, EMI, uh, neutron flux, et cetera. Being able to detect those situations uh, are not trivial. Uh, What we have done is we have mapped out all the possible ways that a memory could fail from a random perspective uh, and then added circuits that uh, dedicated circuitry that allow us to detect those uh, those, those situations, um, and as a result of all this effort and activity, we've literally uh, filed for we've filed for something like seventy five, one hundred different patent disclosures. Well, Robert, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time and interest.
1: So I'm here with Brian Carlson at NXP Semiconductors. Uh, Brian, hello. Hello. Great to see you again. Tell me, uh, you've got a big announcement at um, Embedded World in Nuremberg. Tell us what it is.
8: Yes, so we uh, announced our new extension of the S32 automotive platform, which are real-time processors, the S32Z and the S32E families, which we just won the Embedded Award 2022 for hardware. So we, it's an award-winning product already out of the gate. <laughs> Yeah, what's, what's the significance of
1: these? Because uh, there's, there's quite a lot underneath this.
8: Yeah, there's a lot under the covers. And what I'd like to start out with is, you know, the future is moving more and more towards software-defined vehicles. And if you look at these products, these are really, I believe, the first ones that are designed from the ground up to really drive these software-defined vehicles and the requirements that they have to have be, to be successful. Uh, again, these parts are focused on real-time processing within the vehicle. This is everything that moves the car, stops the car, the electric vehicles, the propulsion of those, the safety of those, the battery management, the energy management. It it works all over the vehicle where you have to have real-time deterministic processing that has to meet deadlines, and it has to work with multiple uh, tasks in parallel, totally isolated from each other with freedom from interference. That is what we're doing uniquely versus a traditional microcontroller approach that doesn't Provide all of those value propositions.
1: Yes, I, I think just to explain that sort of separation a little bit more, because I think that's quite important.
8: Yeah, definitely, that's really important. Uh, one of the key differentiation between this, first of all, it's 16 nanometer versus a typical 28 nanometer microcontroller that gives us a big performance advantage. So it starts with the performance. But yes, you hit the key point. You know, well, first of all, we're a gigahertz class uh, processor rather than a three or four hundred megahertz microcontroller, first of all. But the key difference is really the IC isolation or the hardware virtualization, because what differentiates it is that it is what we call uh, from the processor core to the pin, meaning that everything in between, not only the processor, but the memory, the peripherals, the interfaces, and all the way to the IO pins. That's what's unique here. I can actually replicate uh, what's being done today with multiple boxes. So like we show the EV propulsion domain controller that has five different boxes. Each of those boxes can be translated to a virtual ECU as software that's totally isolated, freedom from interference within the single chip. And we have one of our customers with the S32E, I think refers it to a EV on a chip, which I really like because that's really what we're showing. In fact, our demonstration at the booth here shows an EV propulsion domain controller. So the key is, is yeah, you can run multiple processes on chips today, but can you run them in a software-defined vehicle mode where they're totally isolated, they can't impact the performance, The uh, the, the uh, if there's a fault in one application, it doesn't ha- cause a fault in any other applications, and they truly run independently in a software-defined fashion. That's, that's the breakthrough that we have with this family. So there's two key trends going on in parallel. You know, we see, first of all, you hear about domain control, where that's more of a consolidation of software uh, rather than have multiple boxes that, you know, it's broken. You can't just keep adding a new box for a new function. Uh, You can't maintain those from a software perspective. They have different security levels. They they can't keep up with the uh, security threats. You need a simplified model where these are all within software, within a processor that can have common security, that could be easily updated through over the air updates uh, and in a way that moves the industry forward, especially with EVs and autonomous vehicles, they need a new approach. so that's domain. It's about bringing software together. The other part is the simplification of these architectures with zonal architectures, and that's the rewiring of the vehicle. So instead of having three or four kilometers of wires all over the place, we condense that into just uh, Ethernet backbone with redundancy, and now we have a simplification of hardware. But both of those come together. Uh, they may or may not happen at the same time. Sometimes the one will, an OEM will go with one or the other, or even a hybrid of the two. The key thing for us, though, is that the S32Z and s 32 e family the processors are being used in both of those configurations and in hybrid Uh, we don't care personally we work with our customers to 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 use those parts in those configurations Bosch is definitely a key partner and contributor, uh, especially in the areas of how do we optimize the memory architecture so that the, the, the real-time algorithms are optimized for the best performance. And we have a huge performance increase through that collaboration and in other aspects. So Bosch has been one uh, of our key partners. Um, we work across the automotive industry with, between OEMs, even software partners that provide intelligence uh, of what they'd like to see to make sure that this device, you know, like hypervisor vendors, things like that, how do we take all of those inputs and create a device that truly is designed to support this next wave of software-defined vehicles. But yes, Bosch is part of that and part of our press release, and they noted some of those advantages that I that I just talked about also in that in the press release. Brian, thank you very much. Thanks, sir. It's enjoyed. I'm here with Wayne Lyons of AMD. Hello, Wayne.
1: Hi, Newton. What are you showing here at Embedded World? So yeah, we're showing uh, quite a few ADAS
9: Edge applications at the Embedded World here. Very excited to be here again. Yeah, the uh, demonstrations that we're most focused on, actually, are the eight megapixel demonstration, which is a collaboration with Modavis and Omnivision. This demonstration was actually developed in a very short period of time due to the adaptability of our, our technology. And uh, the announcement was made actually at CES, which unfortunately uh, we weren't able to be present at. But uh, we we're able to
1: show it here at Embedded World Okay, and uh, tell us a little bit more detail about uh, that uh, demo.
9: Yeah, well, the benefit of 8 megapixel clearly is that uh, because of the increased resolution, you are able to identify objects of interest further down the road. So clearly there's a, a you know, large interest in moving to higher resolution specifically for that reason. You don't have to actually you know, process all of the picture. You just identify areas of interest, and then you're able to uh, zone in on those and identify what, what is needed to uh, be identified in the, in the, oh, there's an obstacle in the road.
1: So then the other thing I, I think you showed us was the um, the two applications running on, on the same device for uh, driver monitoring and, and surround. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and why it's important.
9: Yeah, so uh, for uh, DFX or Dynamic Function Exchange, uh, what we've actually got there is we're able to show two completely discrete functions. Uh, the example we have is driver monitoring system and surround view. The benefit there is that at a slow speed, you would want the surround view for for parking assistance, but when you actually get onto the freeway, uh, you want the driver monitoring system to kick in. So what we're actually able to do in the demo is switch between those two functions, completely uh, reprogram the device and get it reconfigured uh, within 100 milliseconds, which is uh, very interesting to companies that are looking to save costs by reusing the same ECU for two discrete functions in the vehicle.
1: And that's quite important. Say, for example, for putting these functions into entry-level cars.
9: Uh, yes, exactly. And we're actually seeing a lot of interest in entry-level cars now, and proof of concepts to be uh, to be built with you know these discrete functions: surround view and maybe forward camera, which again can be used separately. Surround view again in slow speed, forward camera when driving down the freeway, or as the demo shows,
1: uh, driver monitoring and surround view. Wayne, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here with Benny Munitz of Visionary AI. It's a um, startup based in Israel. Uh, t- Benny, hello.
10: Hello. hello
1: Tell me a little bit about the company and what you're showing here.
10: OK, so we are a company doing uh, AI-based software ISP, which is state-of-the-art uh, in terms of uh, uh, image video quality in real time in challenging lighting conditions, uh, like places with a very low light or places that uh, you need a very high performance in terms of HDR. We have multiple uh, customers, uh, paying customers, uh, including a big uh, customer in the consumer electronic market and uh, some customers in the defense industry. We are uh, rapidly, rapidly growing and see a lot of interest to our technology.
1: And and, I mean, without giving away detail, you said, uh, but uh, this is software-based image processing uh, replacing potentially the the hardware-based sort of uh, chips that camera sensors are
10: using. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. So uh, we are repl- uh, we can either replace uh, existing uh, ISPs with our software based ISP or we can uh, augment existing ISPs with our uh, with some components of uh, our ISP which for example uh, you can use our denoiser before using your ISP and it will augment our, your ISP dramatically because it will remove the noise before uh, you get it to your ISP.
1: And I, as I said, yeah, you're a startup but you've already got some good contracts you said where, and these customers are the, the benefits are getting on the high dynamic range and low light uh, uh, processing, is that right?
10: Yeah, correct. So they are really uh, leveraging our uh, capabilities, of our denoiser, denoising capabilities, uh, which are really state of the art, uh, um, to enjoy a higher dynamic range and uh, to operate better in a low lighting conditions.
1: And your company, like 20 people, and I think most of them are, uh, uh, where, where did they come from? What's the background?
10: Okay, so, uh, the, the company was founded by uh, people that are in this industry for, for maybe 20 years or so. A lot of the core team came uh, from Mobileye, uh, most of them are M.A.C.s or uh, Ph.D.s. And they really know the, um, these challenges for many, many years and decided to come up with a state-of-the-art uh, uh, AI-based software uh, solution. Benny, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Nitin. Also, I'm
1: here with Anders Hardabrink of Imagimob. Hi, Anders. Uh, hello, Nitin. So, uh, tell me, uh, what does Imogen Mob do?
0: Well, we have a development platform for machine learning on edge devices that we license to uh, companies. The platform allows users to develop machine learning applications from, from data collection to the deployment on the chip. So, it's, it's like an end-to-end platform. We go direct to market to customers, but we also work a lot with our semiconductor partners like uh, Renesas, ST, and other companies.
1: And uh, you just uh, announced a partnership with Synaptics, is that right?
0: Yeah. So we have uh, a partnership with Synaptics. We have integrated uh, our platform with their AI chip DBM10L. And we have also integrated, and this is interesting, a model for sound event detection in the platform. So with them, we can be very good in sound event detection, like detecting glass break, gunshots, baby cry, toilet flush, microwave, and so forth.
1: And you've got on display some of the products you've worked on. Can you sort of highlight any one of them?
0: Um, Yeah, I think... um, I think the one I, we could highlight here is the Bellpal watch. It's an it's, it's a, it's a edge AI product that's actually in the market. And it's a watch with a fall detection algorithm for the elderly that lives at home. So if they fall down, the watch will understand it and send an alarm. It's, a, it's like a good course, right?
1: And uh, that, that's commercially available in certain countries?
0: Yeah, it's available definitely in Sweden and in the US. I think you can buy it on, on the web all over the world.
1: Well, Anders, thank you very much. OK, thank you. I'm here with Kato Fagamo of Neocortec. Hi, Kato.
11: Hi, hi, Nitin. Hi, pleased to meet you.
1: Tell me a bit of overview of what Neocortec does and some detail of what you're doing on the show.
11: Yeah, so uh, Neocortec is a manufacturer of wireless uh, sensor network protocols called uh, NeoMesh, which enables sensors to get connected to each other and eventually to get connected to the cloud. And what we really are focusing in is in part of the market where you need all the sensors to be battery powered and also in areas of the the market where you need scalability in terms of number of uh, devices. Follow on from that, what is Neomesh? So Neomesh is a protocol that we made from scratch. Uh, so uh, it's not building on on, or on any other protocol. This is something we started from scratch on, on making. And it's really frequency agnostic, so it doesn't really depend on whether you want to go at 2.4 gigahertz or some of the other uh, ISM ISM bands, such as uh, 868 and or 915 megahertz. It's, it's basically one you can use regardless of that. It is a protocol that you will uh, y- Use whenever you want to have well, basically many sensors connected to each other. So, so, first of all, we are realizing that a lot of the customers that are approaching us are really not that interested in, in making the hardware themselves. So they are basically relying on on uh, consultants or uh, other sources of of getting that. They basically. In the end of the day, they just want to, to pull data off the cloud and start building uh, value proposition towards their customers. So they are, of course, technical, but they are not necessarily that technical enough that they want to dig all the way into the, the, the details. So uh, whenever you have data uh, coming from a sensor, it can sometimes be a problem to get it on to the, to the cloud. So what we are doing in order to help them uh, get uh, easy, Uh, available data from the cloud is to build an ecosystem, which is basically uh, partners that have components, gateways, sensors, which are compatible with a NeoMesh protocol.
1: Excellent. Okay. Thank you. And the other thing I think you said about the challenges for engineers is choosing the right protocols to use for their connectivity. And there's plenty of those. You can compare them in a table. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing on that.
11: Yeah, definitely. So so when you look at the, the data sheets, uh, so to speak, on the different protocols, they can pretty much do everything. But in the end of the day, really what this determines if whether or not it will work is when you sort of uh, put them in the frame of, of an application. So different applications have different things that uh, is important for, for, for it. So you need to make a lot of compromises and trade-offs. And that's somewhat more difficult to read from, from a data sheet. So for us, it's really important to dig into the application together with the customer to find out really what is an important part and whether or not Neomesh is is the right protocol or not. So for instance, for for Neomesh, if your application requires low latency, it's probably not us or a high data amounts. We are, as I said, we are focusing on low battery uh, power and also scalability. So that's uh, application which suits us. And when you look at the other protocols, Zigbee, way, Bluetooth Mesh, they all have different pros and cons. And for many engineers, it's really difficult to see that until they actually start you know, working hands-on with those. So getting the data or information from data sheets can be somewhat difficult sometimes.
1: Well, good luck on educating the, the whole ecosystem. Kato, uh, thank you.
11: Thank you so much, Nitin.
1: So I'm here with Tim Veiling, uh, Senior Vice President with Mythic. Hello, Tim. Hello. What are
12: you showing here at Embedded World? So we're showing our uh, M1076 analog matrix processor, which is our AI accelerator for the embedded uh, vision market, specifically for edge AI. Uh, What we have uh, in our product is a very unique technology based on analog compute, as analog compute and memory is our our key IP and our key technology for this product.
1: So tell me why that's better than the other solutions that are out there at the moment.
12: So analog compute lets you develop a very high performance compute engine using mature technology. We're in 40 nanometer uh, compared to some of the digital architectures. We have very low latency and uh, very low power compared to uh, alternative digital architectures.
1: You say you've been uh, Series A 2017, so you're sort of pretty well advanced and you have sampling customers in various applications. Tell me some of those applications and how they're using it and when do you expect a commercial product?
12: So we see a lot of uh, visual analytics as our key market in, in AI visual analytics. So edge AI applications include video surveillance, security, drones machine vision, uh, augmented reality applications. So we have a number of customers uh, sampling our product in all, in all those applications. And when do you expect product, uh, commercial products to be available? Well, as soon as possible, hopefully, but yeah, we do expect uh, production starting in 2023. Tim, thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: So that brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin and Nitin Dahat. Thanks for listening.